0: you are listening to stories from real life a podcast by engaging storytellers for engaged story listeners here's your host author and journalist melvin e edwards
1: Welcome to this episode of Stories from Real Life. I'm your host, Melvin E. Edwards, and I have a favor to ask you before we get started. Please subscribe or follow this podcast on Good Pods and rate this episode after you've listened to it. I'd greatly appreciate that. Now, in today's episode, we have two leaders who are here to talk about their nonprofit organization and tell us how we can all get involved in it. Brian Benz is a founder and CEO of Holistic Transformation, And Pat Quinn is the Chairman of the Board of Directors of that organization. They join us from Tucson, Arizona, where the organization is based. Gentlemen, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having us.
0: Great to be here, Melvin, looking
1: forward to it. Thank you. Um, Their 501c3 nonprofit is focused on creating a vibrant relational community for those aging out of the foster care system. So I have a question for both of you. And Brian, I'd like to direct it at you first and then to Pat. What motivated you to get involved in a ministry like this one?
2: I'm wanting to make a difference. Um, I've always cared um, and had a desire to help others, Um, but I want to help those who want to help themselves. Um, And so I've spent some time overseas working as an international missionary, uh, doing something we call holistic community development. And so I've had a heart uh, to make a difference in, in people's lives.
0: Yeah, for me, Um, I was intrigued about Brian's efforts. Uh, We we had met and he talked about creating this and I like to get involved in different things now that I'm retired and things that I think will make make for change. You know, a lot of people do the easy stuff, you know, give money, give food, um, but the the messy stuff is, is making those changes that are long lasting. And this was one of the many ways that um i thought i could do that so i love the idea
1: okay and as i i just mentioned the the short name for the organization is holistic transformation and holistic is spelled with a w so can you tell us about the idea behind spelling the word holistically in that type of way obviously you had something in mind when you when you chose that term
2: yeah, so the, first of all, the full name of the organization is Holistic Transformation, Changing Hearts, Minds, and Communities. Um, and I had to fight um, to, to get that name because everyone says, well, it's way too long. And I acknowledge. Um, but, but, but the key words matter. And um, our, our goal is changing hearts and minds. And I would go so far as to say, if when we're trying to help others, if, if their heart and mind if we're not working to change that, it, it doesn't make a lasting difference. And you mentioned holistic, and you you noticed that it's a it's spelled with a W, and every time I type it in my computer, it tells me I'm spelling it wrong. Um, but the W is to emphasize the whole person. And in, in my experience, um, a, a lot of good people are doing good things, but the tendency is to separate people's needs, their spiritual needs, their physical, their emotional, their social, and their environmental needs, And they want to specialize. It's it's kind of like overwhelming. And if we want to go on the church side, um, oftentimes uh, the church is is focusing on the spiritual side, which which is absolutely the most important thing is someone's relationship with God. Um, But oftentimes I feel that's not the starting place. The, The starting place, what I would say is we have to build a relationship with those we're wanting to help. And we need to start where their felt need is. Um, and then we need to constantly bring, uh, the love of Jesus into their, into their lives. Um, but, but if, if there, we would have a saying when I was working overseas is that a, a hungry stomach has no ears. And, and so if you're not dealing with it, the need that they're hungry, there's not enough food or their baby's sick, um, then, then they're not paying attention to you and, and the, the change is not happening. Um, we have something we, we call the harmony with God and, and it's, um, and I would make an argument that God cares, uh, you know, it's harmony with God, harmony with others, harmony with self and harmony with creation. And, um, that's what our focus is.
1: All right. So what makes your holistic transformation model unique from other post foster care programs?
2: Well, I, I think there's a couple things. One, and I probably would say the biggest is in our model, we're, we're going to currently, we're going to have 12 homes on, on two lots that we own, uh, 12 one-bedroom homes. And, and we're going to have two navigators, what we call a resident navigator live on site. And that navigator's responsibility is to work um, with those residents that are living there and, and towards restoring relationship, um, creating community, and then navigating the resources that are available in our community, uh, whether it be financial literacy, whether it be trauma-informed care, uh, life skill training, schooling, workforce development, um, and and so that that's a main difference. There is that the navigators live in on-site, and then we're trying something uh, where we're going to have one resident per house. And the experience in most foster care environments is is in a group home. Um, I mean, typically they share bedrooms, they've never had anything of their own. And, and so we, we started with the house, we start with a shipping container, um, and, and but it's not about the house, it's not about the shipping container, but that's the starting place. Um, you, you need stability, you need a place where you can sleep each and every night and, and feel safe um, to, to start the development process.
1: Well, you mentioned the term resident navigator, can you tell me what type of role they provide?
2: Yeah, as I mentioned, I think I wanted to to start and point out is is in most social services work, um, case manager is, is what they use, and and it makes a difference because what does a case manager do? It manages case, um, and and what does a navigator do? A navigator sitting in the passenger seat, uh, the person they're working with is actually driving the car, decided it's given the direction where they want to go, but the navigator comes alongside and helps with the efficiency and the best way to get uh where the driver wants to go and and that's that's really what what this resident navigator is going to do is going to live on site and help navigate help um the the residents go in the direction they want to go in and so you're the the resident's going to decide do i want to go to school do i want to work what what is it that interests me and the navigator is going to help come alongside and and Connect them to the resources that are available to the to the schooling. You know, we have a junior college here. We have a, a, a university. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of workforce development, uh, technical training, uh, when, whatever it is their desire, however they see themselves in providing a living for
0: themselves and eventually their family. The navigator is going to help them help them do that. Yeah, and I'd like to point out this, how it empowers them to have control over their own life. You know a lot of uh, research and melvin you you may have read some of this research about charity that doesn't have success and a lot of it is is top down someone someone thinks they're really smart and they'll go to another community another country and say this is the solution they need and the real success is when you listen to them and and what they think the solution should be and i think that's the same kind of thing we're trying to accomplish here we're trying to have the those aging out of foster care run their own life with some guidance from someone, not being told what to do, but saying, hey, I've made a decision to go this direction. Can you help me with that direction? And that's what we want to help them
1: do. Well, in trying to determine what would be the best course of action for helping these these young adults, how did you decide on housing as a way of of helping those aging out of the foster care system?
2: Well, I think it starts with housing. I mean, one of the we're in a crisis here in Pima County in Tucson, Arizona, an affordable housing crisis. Um, there's simply not enough houses um, that are affordable for, for people. And, and again, as I mentioned, the, the, you, you need a place to sleep. <laughs> you need a roof over your head in order to develop, um, in order to move forward. And, and so the, the house is the, is the starting place. Um, towards the development, towards the transformation. You know, just a quick story on the on the house. So our our plan is we're we're using IKEA cabinets for the bathroom, for the kitchen, and, and the reason for that is the boxes are all the same, but you can choose thirty different doors and drawer facings. And so the the, the people coming in are going to be able to choose to customize, if you will, their house for whatever style they want. Uh, we're going to have a built-in uh, couch. Um, We're going to have five or six different fabric choices. And so you think about that for someone who really has not made, had an opportunity to make a decision in their life. All of a sudden they can pick the color of their, the fabric. They can pick the style of, of doors and all of a sudden you're empowering them and you're giving them the feeling that they matter, that they, that you value their opinion and we want to follow along. And so to me, and you know, and again, this is this is a test project, this is, uh, we call it a laboratory. Um, I think that's the beginning place of changing the heart and the mind of, of those living there.
0: Yeah, and, and you've seen research with those that are already homeless that it starts with a home. You know, they, they found that giving those other pieces weren't successful over the long-term without a home. And so we're trying to prevent homelessness, but it's the same thing. We, we, we need to start with the home.
1: Okay. So what value does tiny home housing provide to these young adults?
2: Well, I, I think part of the, the, I mean, the story of, of the of the tiny home with the shipping container actually started about three years ago um, be, because for me at the time it was the least expensive building that you could start with. You could start with a structure that had a roof, had a floor, had four walls. You couldn't build anything for what you could buy a shipping container. Now, since that, since that time, and, um, the governor of Arizona used shipping containers and built a three-and-a-half-mile wall along the Arizona-Mexican border. Um, the, the federal government stepped in and, and required the wall to be taken down. And so we've been able to. We have right now. We've we've accessed. We've bought two of the shipping containers uh, from the state. And and so the cost um, is yeah. You you couldn't replicate the 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 four walls, the roof for that for that standpoint. And so um, and then there's a coolness factor um, in it. I mean there's a, there's a cachet if you will of of saying you're living in a shipping container. Now one of the things we're doing that, that I think is really cool is we're insulating the outside. Um, we're working with a local company to put, um, what do we got, like four and a half, five inches of foam on the outside. Um, keeping the walls inside will be the industrial look. And so uh, the insulation factor is, is much greater, and, and, and the look is fantastic. It's going to be a southwest, southwest Adobe look. Um, and so it's going to be very, very cool. We'll, we'll do a synthetic stucco and paint on the outside. We'll have solar um, we're harvesting rainwater. It was very environmentally friendly, and uh, the the cost we're estimating forty five thousand dollars a unit. Um, we're able to do that um, because of the volunteer labor. We we've um, connected with a multitude of people who are willing to help us construct them, um, and and so I don't think you can you know everything I've seen you you could not match
0: uh, our cost model um, with with what anyone else is doing. Yeah, when he mentions the insulation on the outside, it also gives you a little more space on the inside. You're not using the inside to have insulation. And, you know, that steel could get pretty hot if it was exposed to the sun, but having the insulation, or I like to call it out outsulation since it's on the outside, <laughs> is help preventing that problem. So again, by preventing, you're actually having more efficiency.
1: So Pat, can you tell me a little bit more about the quality of the shipping container?
0: Well, it depends on situation. So um, our first container was a 40 foot container, um, which there is no terminology that's agreed on. So some use the term new, Um, I put that in air quotes because it's really a one trip. It came from China, it came to United States, probably to Long Beach, California, but came to United States. And then, um, we bought one of those, a one trip in really good condition. Um, what we've bought from the state of Arizona that was previously used in the wall was something that had more trips and, and likely were either on top or on the bottom of a two story kind of situation. So they, they weren't well taken care of. So we've, we've gone to both extremes. Plus we have something that's um, probably closer to that one trip, two, uh, two 20-footers were donated to us by GE Healthcare. Um, so that gives us a, a variety of quality, and uh, Brian's uh, great team of construction folks and our lead construction guy have looked at what we have and think they all can work with what we have, and so we might be expanding um, in Nell's directions.
1: Okay, that sounds good. So when you were starting, did you plan to go big or small in scope, and how did you come to that decision?
2: Uh, we planned to go small. Um, well, I guess I'll back up. We, we we originally had an opportunity where we thought we could get uh, ten lots, and so we were going to go huge, and it, it was just overwhelming. Um, we didn't think there's any way we could do it, and and so then I finally. Uh, I said, let's just do four. Let's do four. We have these. We did get two lots that were donated by Bethel Community Baptist Church, uh, and so we were just going to do four. Um, and then what what happened is there's a, another organization, a nonprofit here in Tucson called Youth on Their Own, where it focuses on um, high school kids, homeless high school kids, and getting getting them through high school. And tremendous organization, doing great work. And after the kids go through their program, they call them ambassadors. So these are 18, 19-year-olds, our target audience. In fact, some of their kids could be have come through the foster care. But anyway, we, they graciously um, put together a focus group. We were able to, we put the questions through, they asked. And, and one of the, the first questions um, was this idea of about relationship and about community. And, you know, I can hold up my phone here and I would have told you beforehand that most 18, 19 year olds think their phone is a relationship. Well, I'm old enough where I don't I don't believe that. But the thing that really pleased me um, was that they valued the relationship. They were very excited about this opportunity of being in a community. Well, if you had three three residents and one navigator, that's not much of a community. And so then we decided to go. Um, bigger and we were going to go to eight homes. We we're going to use both lots. And then um, just a huge blessing with just literally probably a month ago we learned we're in a special district in Tucson which takes away the density restrictions. So now we've, now we're up to 12 we're up to 12 units. Um, so there'll be 10, uh, 10 residents and two, two resident navigators. I think the other thing too, in that focus group that came out was that they were excited about the training opportunities. Uh, there's gonna be huge requirements for these young adults to live in our, um, to live in our community. Uh, I mean, we're looking for young people who want a, a hand up, not a handout. It's very important that, to me that they're engaged in their own development. And so I'm not gonna tell you to go to school um, I'm not gonna tell you what kind of work you have to do, but I am gonna tell you, you have to go you, you have to go to school, you have to work, you have to be doing something um, to develop yourself. And in order to help that, we're gonna incentivize. But right now we're playing with the idea that rent is gonna be $800 a month. Um, but if you're doing trauma-informed training, uh, it'll be $700. If you're going to school, it'll be 600. So each of these activities that we feel will be for the betterment of those people living there will, will reduce their rent. Um, and, and so again, it's for them to discover themselves, what are the necessary things that will lead to their success? Um, you know, one of the things we do, one of the standard things, Pat mentioned it a little bit, is, you know, Melvin, if you listen to me, I'll fix you. If you just do what I tell you to do, um, but we know that doesn't work. Um, unless mm-hmm. you determine for yourself what's gonna lead to your success, What's going to be, it's not gonna work. And and so we can talk to people all day long, but but they have to discover for themselves and we're gonna help them apply uh, what they've learned and, and guide them down that guide them down that path that's right for
0: them. Yeah, I love our concept of incentivizing good good decisions. Um, he, he went through a couple of them with the trauma care, but um, also they can get involved in the community garden, you know, getting involved in, in, in our community. And training doesn't have to be um, college, but it could be college so they can choose the type of their their, direction they want to go. So many, many positive choices would still be incentivized.
1: Okay, And how soon do you anticipate moving in the first group of of young adults?
2: Well, my my dream is November. Um, I I gave that to our architect here a couple of weeks ago and he rolled his eyes and he said, well, everything goes okay." um, we'll get it done. And I think part of the, the, this whole thing is a faith journey. I'm a person of faith. Um, I'm doing this because I feel God has, has called me. Um, and, and so if God wants it, if God agrees with me that November's the date, then, then that's what will happen. But a lot of things has to come, a lot of things have to come together in order for that to happen.
1: Okay. So I understand you mentioned your, your church donated the property. So what do you see, what other roles do you see for your church or any church once people begin living in these tiny homes?
2: It's an amazing opportunity. I'm, I'm so excited. Our, our, our church has a rich history. We've been on that corner for 73 years, um, but we're struggling. We're, we're a small church. Uh, small churches in, in America are, are struggling. We're down to probably 35, 40 people. And what I see is a tremendous opportunity for the people of our church to connect with the residents and build relationships, build community. So one of the one of the focal points of our community is gonna be an, out, uh, an outdoor eating area, an outdoor kitchen, outdoor dining. One of the things I see is every Sunday morning prior to our church time um, is is in our community, the residents will be cooking breakfast for the church people and we'll, we'll be sharing a meal together each Sunday morning. And so it'll just be continual um, opportunities. The church can be used uh, for training opportunities, you know, we have different classrooms. We have, you know, we have meeting space, um, if if you will, for some of the training as we bring in other outside people to involve with the the residents of the community.
0: Yeah, and and the church people could celebrate birthdays with them. Um, it, it, it is a you know a win win for for both uh, both groups. I think one other thing I want to add on that too is is. And I hate
2: to cast the big vision, but I should maybe the really big, big vision is that there's communities like this throughout our city, throughout our state, throughout our country. What would it be like if not, you know, churches, nonprofit organizations had communities uh, like this? And it doesn't, you know, foster care is a huge need. Um, Returning citizens, those coming out of prison is another huge need that were the outcomes. it's, It's not working with what's happening. Um, another, I'm working with a church here, very preliminary, who have a passion for the elderly. Right now, and uh, the fastest-growing homeless demographic is, is women over 65 years old. It's a crisis. Um, and What if a church was to have a, a community of 6, 8, 10, 12 homes uh, for, um, for the elderly? And, and so it could, it could be for refugees. It could be for uh, single moms. Just going on and on. As the possibilities, whatever the heart of that particular church is, um, and we would love to come alongside and and help. Uh, you know, we're trying to build the the test here, um, but I would love to engage with and and have conversations and share what we've learned to this to this stage with anyone who's interested.
1: All right. So, what one thing do you wish people understood about the foster care system that would help them grasp the bigger picture here?
2: Um, I, I think the difficulty. I, I, I think. Uh, can we imagine what it's like to be four, five, six years old in the state of Arizona? Come in, an officer from the state, and pull you out of the your home, take you away from your parents, um, and and then all of a sudden you're a ward of the state. Uh, I just can't imagine the the trauma and and the sadness that has each of these kids have gone through and, and through what I would say is no fault of their own. And and so um, I, I think that the, you know, and I'm not critical of the state and in, in any way of what they're trying to do, they're doing the best they can. And again, there's tremendous opportunities for all of us to get involved in, in, in the foster care system in, in some way. Um, but there's just a huge need and, and it, it comes down to relationship and community. It comes down to, um, comes down to love. You know, can we love on these, on these people? And, the, and the, the, the system is overwhelmed.
0: Yeah, I would talk more about that trauma as well. Not only are you taken out, but you're hoping maybe to get back with your parents. And that hope is always held over them. And a parent may be Um, going relapsing in drugs or relapsing in crime back in jail. You know, they keep hoping someday they'll be together again, or maybe they were abused and they're hoping never to get back together again. You know, they're in in a real traumatic situation and they may be going into foster care and out again, back with the parents and back out again. You know, that (laughs) they all have different journeys that are painful and that kind of, knock me over as we've done research on this that the, the real strong need to give them something stable something that they felt they have some control over
1: wow that is traumatic so when young people age out of the system what typically happens to them
2: i think we're going to start with the point that the term they use is emancipated um and and that's that's not a good choice of words you know emancipation. When you think about that, I think about it in the 1860s with Abraham Lincoln uh, freeing the slaves, and 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 so. But that's the mindset: um, is they feel they're 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 tied um, to to the state, and, and so um, at 18 they're they're free to leave. They become an adult. Um, we hear stories of at midnight at 12:01 that that if they turn 18, they leave the home they're in. the the group home they're in. And they have no place to go. Um, Stats show that 20% of of these young adults that are emancipated um, are immediately homeless. Um, And and if we go on, if we're going to talk about statistics, 45% of of kids coming through the foster care system will end up incarcerated by the age of 24. Um, Over 40% will be homeless. Uh, Over 40% will be unemployed. Um, I think a shocking statistic, I think it's 77% of the young women between the age 18 and 21 will uh, become pregnant, which perpetuates the, mm-hmm. the, the, the brokenness of the system. And so, what we're trying to do, we're trying to prevent um, those statistics. We're, we're going to, one of the, the very, very tangible ways we're going to measure our success is if we have 10 residents. And after a year, none of them are homeless and they're still there, then, you know, typically four of them would be home, would be homeless. If four of them, if 10 of them are working in some manner, we beat the odds. If 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 the young women are not pregnant, we've been beat phenomenal odds because the odds are if, if we had 10 women there, over seven of them would end up pregnant. Um, so, those are some of the things. It's, it's very key about preventing um, th- those horrible outcomes and changing the outcomes. And we, we believe we're going to change the outcomes by changing the hearts and the minds of those living there.
0: Um, and at 18, we're talking about the, the situation where they leave, like he mentioned, they could be in high school just months away from a diploma and they decide to leave and not even get their high school diploma. I mean, that's how much they wanna get away from the system. They could stay until 21 and they, they're, they're choosing not to in some cases. So that's that's just a, a tough, tough situation.
2: I, I think the other thing we have to acknowledge along the, the lines, each of us who are parents, um, we have to realize I have a 26 year old son. Um, you know, when he was 18, he, he made decisions that were not in his best interest. And so many of us can sit back and say, what in the world are these kids doing? Um, but all of us have made bad decisions in our life. Um, and and so I think that's part of the key is we, we, we can't judge the decisions they make. All we can do is come alongside and 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 try to, to live life with them, if you will, and help them overcome the the decisions, you know, and, and my son was blessed. My wife and I have, have, um, have been there his entire life. We've stayed near, you know, we we come alongside him. We try to help and guide him get over those bad decisions. And we've been blessed that um, none of his decisions have been so life altering that he couldn't overcome them.
1: Well, one of the biggest problems with foster care that I've learned is creating stability for the children. And some of that instability seems to be, or is definitely sibling separation. Is that still an issue within for those within your care?
2: I, I believe it will. I, I think that the, um, the the biggest challenge as as we go forward is um, helping and convincing uh, these residents that they're they're loved, and and, and yet. Um, there's consequences when there's, when they break the rules, you know, when, when any of us break the rules, there's consequences. And and, and yet that doesn't take the fact that we love them. And, and um, I, I mean, I have concern on how that's going to, how that's going to work and how we're going to do that. And it's going to be a case by case um, being with each individual. And, and we have to understand that the, the trauma that they've experienced, you know, with, with the studies that we're able to do now, we have medical science, that, that based on the trauma you experience how it, it actually affects the growth of the brain. And so this may be an 18, 19-year-old, but their brain may be developed as a 10- 11-year-old. And, and, and how do you how do you work with that? You know, it's, it's very, very, um, yeah, what, what we're trying to do is not easy in any way. It, it's not a, uh, but it's, again, it's necessary, in my opinion. It, it's what um What what I feel God's called us to do, if we want to get down to the bottom line.
0: You know, we're we're willing to take someone right at eighteen or someone a a couple years later than that. So it's possible that the siblings are in the same kind of mindset of when they want to join something that like we're doing, we could possibly, you know, handle the sibling situation. So it, it's a great question. But like uh, Brian said, it's a challenge that we'll have to explore as as we learn more.
1: So as we've talked here, it seems like there's a consensus that the entire foster care system needs to be reformed somehow. But is the bottom line is, how do we reduce as a society the need for foster care?
2: Well, it, 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 for me, it starts with the family. It's, it starts with the mother and father in the house. Um, and, and it, it, you know, that, that's just the basic starting place. Um, it, it is you know, I feel that's very... In- I know in my own situation, and I just have one child, the difficulty, I couldn't imagine trying to raise my son by myself. Um, the, the balance of, of, of my wife and myself um, is, is important. And you know, how do we, as a, as a society, as a culture, influence families and, and improve the strength of the family? Um, it, it, it's a challenge. There's so many things that are breaking uh, and, and have broken the family apart. Um, I, you you know, and I I think you have to get down to the to the root causes. Um, and, and again, I you know I think that's a, you know that that's a challenge, and, and and it's hard, you know, it's difficult.
0: Yeah, and I'd also add putting more money into um, mental health care, um, putting more money into helping people get over the trauma in their life. There's something we, we, we don't have enough from our um, federal government or state government or local government to going towards mental health. And it's also, we don't have enough mental health professionals is, is also an issue. So if, if someone's got a, you know, a issue that they need to deal with, that they deal with it earlier in life, they'll have more success than if it just uh, gets worse and worse
1: over time. Well, obviously you guys are on the front end of this um, process, but on the other side of it, how do you envision, have you had a an idea, a thought in your mind and what success would look like for, for these young adults and for the program?
2: Well, yeah, I, I think success, as I mentioned earlier, is that, that these statistical outcomes are not having happening, and so just on a simple basis, um, they're not incarcerated. Uh, you know, they're the they're not pregnant. They're not homeless. They're not unemployed. That that they have a career. They have a direction, and they have a, a stability in their life. Um, I mean, ultimately, is is um, I, the hope would be that there would be a joy and a peace in their life. Um, that that they're going down a direction. Um, where they've chosen and that leads to, um, what they see as their, as, as their success. Um, and, and that's different for each, you know, that's different for each person. I mean, the three of us on this call have different ideas of what, of what success is. Um, and it's not for either one of us to tell, uh, the other. And, and again, the bottom line though is, is joy and peace.
0: And, you know, the very, very big picture, the boldest picture of if God helps and wants to make that happen would be it's spreading, as as Ryan said earlier, you know, that would go beyond Tucson, beyond what we're doing to other cities and other situations, you know, veterans, um, just on and on, all the different ways that churches could be helping and being involved in the community with the extra land that they have. Often they do have the extra land. So it'd be a great way to to get their, their own church, you know, bonding and also to help others.
1: Well, that leads me into my last question. What can communities, churches, nonprofits, community organizations do to support um, a ministry like yours or to start their own similar ministry?
2: Well, well the first thing you can do is reach out and connect with us. And, and again, it would be up for, uh, you know, to learn where, where their interest is. Um, A a team, an individual could come out during a construction project um, and help Depending on where their interest is. Uh, We need, we have huge need from, from data areas, you know, we need to, you know, keeping track of our email list, putting out, you know, newsletters, um, just going on and on and on. Um, Right now I'm, I'm working on this, uh, full-time, and everyone else we have is volunteers. Uh, and and so any and everything where there's an interest, uh, social media, which is, you know, very important to get the word out. Uh, and and so um, it's just up to the individual or the group um, of where their interest is. We, we'd love to, you know, I'd love to have conversations, love to get on a Zoom call. Uh, if they're in Tucson, love to, to meet face-to-face for coffee. And and share you know individually where they are, where their heart is. Um, churches, nonprofit organizations, like I said, I would I would love to guide and and share our journey, um, and and, um, and and go from there.
0: Yeah, different people have different talents, and and a lot of those talents are available uh, to connect far away. You know, on the internet, you know, we've got people in different states that have come along our side. The, the the ones that the only ones that I, I can see that cannot help us um, long distance would be the construction people. You know, the people are going to be hands on. But we've been blessed that uh, Brian's got a lot of people who are uh, just fired up to want to help us on that regard. So it's, it's those other components. And, and, of course, financially, you know, it, it, takes, it takes a lot of money to, to make this happen as well and it's valuable not only for the, the you know the people that we have in the community we've already cited but because it is it is like a pilot a trial a demonstration project you know it, it's going to learn things we'll learn things that we could share with others and we can go all grow from it so specific a specific
2: need right now we we are starting the process of building our first model home. Uh, the very first thing we want to do is, is get a very powerful power washer and, and wash things down. We're going to put the units together. We need welder um, to be able to weld them together. we got to be able to cut the doors out. Um, and so that, you know, that basic um, thing, and that's happening right away. We need a civil engineer. Uh, we, you know, we need a landscape architect. Uh, those are specific areas that, that people can get get involved in. Can I tell? I I can't do this without telling a parable. Um, (laughs) Everyone knows or most people have heard the story of give a man a fish today. um, He'll be hungry tomorrow. Teach him to fish and he can fish for a lifetime. And I think we have to ask our question or many are not asking the question, um, does he have access to the lake? Does he have a fishing pole? Does he have a permit? And so I call those justice issues. And I think many um, good people are not aware in our community, in our cities, in our country that there's a lack of justice in, in many environments. So we answer that question of, does he have access? The other thing, do we know whether, has he been trained in order to manage the lake? Because he, you know, if we pollute the lake, if we overfish the lake, he still doesn't have any fish. And so it's easy for people to say, well, I'm gonna, Melvin, you decide, I'm gonna help you, Brian, let's go fishing uh, tomorrow. Uh, You know, we can go fishing tomorrow and not catch any fish. You can say, okay, well, we'll, let's go Wednesday. Um, We can go on Wednesday one of us fall on the lake, the line break. Um, How do we measure whether I've learned to fish? And and so is it just if we catch fish? Um, But as you go through the process of teaching me to fish, um, it takes a requirement of you, it requires a relationship, it requires your time and your effort. Um, and so I think it's important that what we're saying, we're acknowledging that it's difficult. It's difficult to come alongside someone and, and live life with them. Um, to, to, it's difficult to teach someone to fish. And I think what, what, what's happening is in many cases, very good people are saying, here's 10 bucks, here's 20 bucks, go buy your fish. Um, but then we can't complain that they don't know how to fish if we're not willing to come alongside. And, and so I think we have to think about what, what is the outcome that we want. Um, and as, as we're coming alongside those of us who are called and feel a, a passion and a desire um, to help others, what are we willing to do? Are we willing to teach people to fish? Um, and, and I think we can take that in, in, in whatever area that that you're working. Um, those who are struggling um, need to be taught, need to be taught, and that takes
1: It takes time. Well, that parable is definitely a good addition to this episode. I I appreciate you adding that to this this conversation. So our guests today have been uh, Brian Benz and Pat Quinn from Holistic Transformation of Tucson. And I'll be posting a link to their organization in the description so that you can contribute or find out how to contact them to volunteer if you feel led to do so. So thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you for the time and giving us this opportunity to share. And again, I'd love to connect with anyone, anywhere, um, to to be able to to walk this journey and and learn
0: from what they're doing, and I'd obviously share what we're doing. Thank you, Melvin. I I, I love the, the format of your show and and the work you've done in the past. And I, I hope uh, you're you're blessed with many many more shows in the future because you're doing you're doing good work here. Thank you.
1: Thank you, sir. I, I really appreciate that. So that's it for today's edition of Stories from Real Life. Join us again next time for another storytelling journey. Until then, don't forget to shine some light wherever you go. That was another edition of Stories from Real Life with your host, Melvin E. Edwards. Join us again next time for more stories about more things than you can imagine. Some of those true stories may even be about real life. See you next time.